Hey folks, welcome to Creative Ops, a podcast for creative people by creative people. I'm your host, Christopher Talon, and today I talk to Jennifer Susi, the author of Demon in Me, which is available today on Amazon. Uh, go check her out at jenniferlsusi.com. We talked about writing, we talked about being a female author, got really into the process of how she uh, makes the creative stuff that she does. I'm halfway through the book right now, and I'm going to go finish the rest of it as soon as I'm done talking here. It's a really good book. Go check it out, and I hope you enjoy the interview. All right, so I heard you say your name on your YouTube video one time. I'm going to let you introduce yourself just so I don't mess it up. Okay. Um, I'm Jennifer Susie. I am 41. I live in Georgia right now, but I was born in Connecticut and I lived in Las Vegas for a while as well. And uh, for 25 plus years, I've been in the restaurant industry until I decided to try writing. <laughs> That's awesome. And did you always write or was it something you kind of got into at least seriously more recently in life? Uh, I got my first typewriter when I was 12 and it was a, a birthday present for my parents and I started writing like the most god awful stories uh -huh. on my typewriter because <laughs> I, I was like reading at the time Stephen King and VC Andrews so it was kind of like an ugly mashup of that <laughs> right but um yeah you know I was I was writing for a while it was my oldest dream and then you know you turn 18 you start uh, having to work pay bills mm -hmm. and stuff like that just gets pushed to the side unfortunately but I always kept reading because I've been addicted to reading since I could, before I could even walk really. And yeah, um, yeah it's just, uh, I was about to turn 40 and I had like a epiphany where I was like, what am I doing with my life? Why am I here in my life instead of doing what I always wanted? And I just said, the hell with it. I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad you did. I'm, I stopped about halfway through the book so that I couldn't reveal too much to people because mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I've, I've read this that far in like two sittings where it was just, I was completely enthralled, which was awesome because like, I think I had told you I've had kind of so, so luck at the library, at the bookstore. Mm -hmm. um, and then lo and behold, I find this and I'm like, wow, this is fantastic. Everybody should read this. Um, you said VC Andrews. I haven't read a lot of VC Andrews, um, but I've read a ton of Stephen King. And I want to mm -hmm. ask you if, in your writing process, um, well, not so much your writing process, but like your growth as a writer, mm -hmm. how important was Stephen King in just not so much language, but like the way that he tells a story? Because he can do it so many ways. You know, Dolores Claiborne mm -hmm. is a great example of first person storytelling, and then he can also be the omniscient narrator. So I'm kind of jumping around here a lot. I apologize. Um, but <laughs> Yeah, how do you how do you approach story building? More so like we'll get into the smaller parts but like idea to how you're going to incorporate this idea and push it through and what world you pick out and all that. Mm -hmm. Well, I think for like, for instance, you know, your tastes change over time, of course, because you change and grow as a person. Stephen yeah. King was always one of those like constants in my reading life. He was uh, definitely my first overt like exposure to horror, even though uh, I grew yeah. up on super dark fairy tales, which okay. you could definitely classify those as horror. <laughs> oh, but yeah. Um, yeah, but uh, I've always loved him. And I think as I grew older, the one thing that stayed constant about his writing was um, that he could take the most ordinary person, uh -huh. someone totally relatable, throw them into this wild ass crazy circumstance yeah. and you get sucked right in. And I think that's what one of the things that stayed constant through my reading in my adult life. You know, when you're a kid, like the stories like B.C. Andrews, it's like basically like these rich girls who get like tortured and tormented or whatever. And, you know, it's like, ooh, that's so exciting. Like, you know, when you used to watch 90210 and stuff. But as an adult, I'm like, I'm totally not that girl. And, you know, you start looking for characters that are more reflective of you. Yeah. So I really dig like any kind of story where the protagonist is relatable, approachable, uh, someone that I either know or could meet, 
mm-hmm. or even someone who is somewhat like me, you know, that's, yeah. that's what makes it more interesting and more scary. Cause you can um, empathize with them a lot better. Absolutely. Yeah. I like, I like the ordinary characters in extraordinary situations more so than mm-hmm. the, the super fantastical stuff, which, you know, mm-hmm. I have a place for that sometimes too, but. Oh, sure. Yeah. But your book uh, really drew me in. Um, particularly because of the characters, Layla is a great character. And you, you said that you played the drums too, right? I did. Well, that was the only musical instrument I ever gave a fair shot to. Um, yeah. It ended horribly, <laughs> but, but I really, I really tried to get into it. I love it. I, I've loved music my whole life as much as reading. And, um, you know, I just, I really wanted to kind of express that hobby that I, I miss and see it like come out on the page as well. Yeah. Um, and sorry if I keep talking back to uh, Stephen King, too, but I just wanted mm-hmm. to ask one thing that is really hard for, I think, a lot of writers, and I'll say myself included, is I'm worried sometimes that if I break a linear structure, even within like just a scene or a chapter, that the audience might be like, wait, what, what's going on now? But you do a really good job of kind of transitioning into something that happened in the past versus something that's just happening right in somebody's head and things that are actually unfolding in the present. Um, Do you feel like that is just kind of natural and that's just what the story needed? Or did you really sit down when you were um, putting this together and when you were editing to kind of give it almost that, I don't want to say pulp fictiony flow, but mm-hmm. you know what I'm talking about—that nonlinear, mm-hmm. not quite sure where you are at sometimes. Well, I think it's awesome that you even bring up like pulp fiction because I remember seeing that movie in the theater at, when it first came out, and my mind was just blown because I've never seen storytelling like that where it's going back and forth and back and forth, but it still engrossed you and you're still following every little bit of it. Um, I think uh, any creative person, we're very much like sponges, you know, and um, that's why reading as a writer is so important because you're mm-hmm. building up a toolbox for yourself oh, yeah. and you're seeing what works and what doesn't for you. Um, you know, and uh, I've again, been reading my whole life. I'm a huge movie fan too. So like that kind of movie, like Pulp Fiction, whether I know it or not, it's influencing what feels normal and natural when I'm writing. And um, yeah, I definitely intended on um, including scenes from the past because I didn't, I didn't want Layla to know everything at once. Because right. it kind of makes sense. You know, the older you get, the more stuff, whether it's traumatic or not, the more stuff you just forget anyway about your childhood. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you need a cue to like bring something back and you're like, whoa, I totally forgot about that. Yeah. But um. I wanted it to seem natural and I didn't want it to be too intrusive because I didn't want to ruin the pacing of the present day story. Yeah. So. Okay. This is a good point um, in, in our discussion. Uh, well, actually, it's probably the last good point in this discussion. Real quick, <laughs> why don't you tell people who haven't read the book because it just became available um, mm-hmm. what they can expect from this book, kind of the uh, elevator pitch, back of the book style? Uh, summary. Okay, so um, Layla is in her early 30s. She's living in Las Vegas. She's a drummer. And, um, you know, you learn right away that uh, she escaped a pretty hard life uh, with heroin addiction and other traumas she just doesn't even think about or talk about. But um, she gets a phone call just as her life's starting to get back into order from her dying mother saying, you know, can you please come home? And um, immediately, you know, she says yes, because as we'll see in the book, there is a very complicated relationship with her mother. Mm-hmm. But the whole time she's wondering how this is going to affect her, what's going to happen. She knows she conquered her demons in the past, you know, her figurative demons. Mm-hmm. But um, the problem is that the closer she gets to home and the more real things get, the more those figurative demons start to become literal. And she has to try to cope with not only um, dealing with that, but dealing with a new situation, which is very reflective of the one that caused all of her problems to begin with. Yeah. And that's where I'm at in the book right now is pretty much right where you left off. She's starting to see those 
figurative demons start to kind of turn to literal ones. And it's, yes. it's a really, really fun ride because throughout this book so far, I'm like, okay, is this all just like a, a, a statement on mental health or is this actually like a monster story? And those two things kind of blur over each other a lot. Um, mm -hmm. But it, it's starting to come into focus now. It's, it's a really fun book. And if I haven't said it enough times already, Jason, have I said demon in me yet? He's not like <laughs> Yeah, he's not, he's not paying attention. If I haven't said it, the book is called Demon in Me, Jennifer Susie. Am I saying mm -hmm. it right? Yes. Okay, good. Uh, sorry, I'm not paying attention. I'm writing emails. I'm not maybe I should turn my camera off so you don't see me. Yeah. Yeah. Just hang up a sign that says be back soon or something. Yeah. Yeah, maybe just text me when you're done. Okay. <laughs> um yeah, so the book is Demon and Me, and um, oh, geez, now I lost my train of thought. But um, yeah, it is a fantastic book. I love it, and we've talked about it a little bit. I want to get back into your writing process, but first, mm -hmm. I'm—you know—what I've heard of your story, your personal background, sounds interesting. Right now, we're talking to you. We know you as the person who wrote this book, but kind mm -hmm. of catch us up from like what kind of student you were what you were like in your 20s, 30s until now? Uh, well, I was always a super nerd about school. Like, I loved going to school. <laughs> I still actually have dreams about uh, going back to high school and just being so excited, like, yay, I'm back, <laughs> and I get, to, I get to study again. <laughs> um, that's, that's, if anything, I have dreams of going to school and being like, oh, I still <laughs> don't do my homework. Ah, oh, dang it. <laughs> Um, but no, I was, I was, um, I was a pretty strange kid, but, uh, not necessarily in a bad way no. and <laughs> just very creative. And, um, I, I like to keep to myself, but I also like to hang out with my friends. Yeah. Um, and I got two younger twin sisters who, uh, during my childhood, they were my absolute scourge, but now they're like my best friends ever. So <laughs> that all worked out. Um, we had a rough time for a while, uh, in our teenage years. And I think that's, um, a little bit of, you know, something that gets put into Layla too, like um, just, you know, going around to different uh, homes and having um, personal issues, mental issues, uh, eventually in my 20s, you know, working in restaurants, flirting with addiction issues as well. And, um, you know, luckily I was never as bad off as she gets or other people get. But I mean, I definitely have always had a, a empathy and a sympathy in my heart for people struggling through things like that. Cause uh, life is just, we all know it's not easy. And um, even the strongest person is tested quite a bit. And um, I think that's what makes a really good artist though, is uh, when you experience stuff like that, you can reach out to other people and um, you know, pull them in and it's, um, it's cathartic, you know, to read about stories like this and to think about them and see them on the screen, you know, it, it helps a lot of us through our worst times, just knowing that someone else understands what you're going through. Yeah. And, you know, that speaks to something else too, that I think a lot of people who would think to write something that's, you know, as visceral as this book is, because I mean, this book has um, sexuality, you know, the good and the bad. Uh, there, there's, uh, an abortion scene, not like a grossed out, like gored out, try to make it gross, but like just very emotional mm -hmm. and real. Um, mm -hmm. and then all the different things with addiction and all the family issues and domestic violence. Like, <clears throat> I think some writers would say, I am drawn to those stories, but I'm worried that if I wrote about those things that people would think like, oh, what's wrong with that person that they have so much insight? Did that ever cross your mind or were you just kind of like, fuck it, I'm going to write the story that needs to be told? That's exactly it. Because, I mean, anyone who has known me uh, through work or through family or whatever, they already know our family is a little bit strange. You know, we've never hid that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I've always, you know... Um, been somewhat open about the the troubles I've had in the past because again you know even though I'm sort of like a blend of extrovert and introvert you know if you become close to people you see people in need 
you reach out to them. And that's always been easy for me because people have done that for me and it helped me a lot. So I kind of try to pass it along. Um, And as far as like writing about uh, controversial issues, uh, stuff that might not fly over well, 100% with everyone, that's just the world we live in, you know, and um, Mm -hmm. you could write the most innocent book. And I've seen it on Twitter, people writing the most innocent stories, you know, but there's always going to be someone who's like, you offended me. I yeah. can't believe you wrote that. So, but you can't write for those people because it's a very small minority. Yeah. But but you should always be sensitive at the same time. You know, issues like this, um, you want to be authentic, but you don't want to be gratuitous. You don't want to um, sensationalize what can be the most painful part of someone's life. You know. Yeah. yeah. Well, and then the other thing with writing too, and do you write poetry? I know this is this sounds like it's coming out of nowhere, but I'm going to weave it back in that it's I should write poetry like everything about me is that poetry girl but I just never got into it that was one medium of writing that I I like a couple poems here and there but I'm not huge into them okay I'm just curious I'm not saying that you should um Mm -hmm. but I'm not much of a poet myself I've always been like this is really powerful why don't we take this paragraph and make it into a 50-page story (laughs) Um, exactly yeah uh, but no, the your writing has a lot of kind of poeticness. That's, I don't think that's a very good word to describe it, poeticness. <laughs> but there's some poetry to what you say, like uh, like Michael Crichton has a way of writing, or had a way of writing, that was mm-hmm. almost like clinical. Like you almost read it like it was an essay. And then some people can write in a way where you almost don't even know what they're talking about. Like I've tried to read um, a Salman Rushdie book and I was like, this is so metaphorical and out there that I just can't follow it. Um, yes. So how do you kind of strike that balance? Like where, where do you see um, being totally poetic, totally literal? Where, where's your voice in that spectrum? I try to ride right in the middle of that because again, being a huge reader and uh, horror, surprisingly, people think it's like blood and guts, like the most simplistic writing ever, but most horror is very literary minded. And if you read it, like the prose is thick, sometimes to the point of being bright purple, you know, like try reading um, Lovecraft. Like I can't even get through it. You know, I like the concepts of it, but I just can't get through his prose at all. Um, So I try to do like a little bit of both, you know, so I I want it to be approachable, relatable, understandable. But at the same time, there are scenes that, you know, you have to describe a certain way in order to generate a picture, to generate a mood, you know, which is very important. Yeah. And I think you do that very well, by the way. So uh, kudos to you. If I can ask you a little bit more about like your specific writing process, because I think, you know, part of what I hope people get from this show specifically too is that they can go, oh, you know what? I want to try to do something like that. So if somebody had never written a book before and they were intimidated by the idea of like yours on on, uh, book pages is just short of 300 pages, right? Mm -hmm. 280, 290 pages. So that sounds like a momentous undertaking to a lot of people. How do you break that down like to day by day, week by week, month by month steps? Uh, for me personally, and again, everyone does so many different things. Oh yeah. I try to write like 500 to a thousand words a day. And sometimes it goes more because, you know, once the muse hits and like you get a flow going, oh, yeah. I mean, there's been days at my top, I've written 10,000 words in a day. Because, like, it just happened, you know, yeah. and I, I couldn't stop. Mm-hmm. But um, I try to do at least 500 at my minimum. And um, it doesn't have to be a book. Like, it doesn't even have to be anything. Yeah. You, you know, um, the important thing is, it's like, think of your brain, your writing brain as a muscle. And you just want to give it a flex every day just to keep it going. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, sometimes you're not going to write anything worth saving, you know, it's going to be crap and that's okay. You know, just get something out, just do it for an exercise, write a journal. Even it doesn't even have to be something you'll ever show another person. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember who the writer was that said it, but they said, 
If you write something every day, the odds of you writing something bad 365 days in a row is almost none. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, um, I, I agree with the, the sentiment of it being like a muscle and just like, if you do it every day, you're going to eventually stumble onto something. But um, then with the with your book, did you do a lot of outlining? I'm not a person who likes to outline a lot. Like I might kind of plot things out, but then still I'll change it, you know, chapter by chapter. How much outlining do you do? How much like um, character development do you do before you actually put them into a story? I do not do very much at all. Uh, And I know people who swear by it and I totally respect it. You know, everyone has different brains. It's okay. But um, when I tend to start a story, I've got at least the main character in mind. Mm -hmm. And I've got um, like sort of a a vague outline of a setting um, and a start. And I almost always have the end set in mind. So I might write a few notes. And as I get further into the book, I will write more notes, you know, so that way I can keep track of certain things I already said or did. Mm-hmm. But um, for me, I, I really just kind of let my character that I'm building take me where I need to go. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we have the end goal in mind. So that's always there to kind of draw us. But yeah, I mean, I let my character kind of tell me the story. <laughs> And I don't know if that's always the, the best way, but for me, it's the most fun because, you know, you think the story is going to end a certain way or work a certain way. And yeah. then they take you down this crazy detour and you're like, holy shit, I had no idea like this was going to happen. Yeah. Like even um, a friend of mine, you know, read the book, one of my art readers and really loved uh, the character of Rajan and was like, how did you even plan him? How did he come about? And I'm like, honestly, I think he just birthed himself on the page because <laughs> I, I planned for her to have like a best friend companion type person, yeah. but it was very vague, very general. And then he just came out of nowhere and I'm like, Oh, hello. <laughs> You're awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And I think that's why, even if you are the kind of person who, Maybe whether it's a control thing or whether it's just a like a fear of uncertainty, which I guess are kind of interrelated. Um, I think it's important to allow yourself to just kind of invent in the in the moment, whether whether you're going to throw outlines completely out the window or not. Because I'm like you, I'm not big on outlining, but I do see the value in it, and I know people that won't do anything but <laughs> but outline <laughs> from start to finish yes. everything before they even start writing. And they write, they write good stuff too. So, um, I had another question in mind, and then I talk too much. You ever do that? All the time. I was like, <laughs> "Ooh, here's a good segue." And then the next question is, "Bah." Um, no, it was something about. Oh yeah. Okay, so when you're um, when you're editing and you're looking at like the story from a developmental perspective, not just like fixing typos and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, did you have to do a lot of um, kind of taking things because like we said, some of the storytelling is fractured, not linear. Did mm-hmm. you have to like write out a linear story for this and then that, and then kind of mix and match them in? Or did you just kind of feel like at the end of one chapter, like, okay, you know what? I think now's the time to reveal this. Yeah, uh, when we did the uh, developmental round, me and my uh, first editor, we didn't actually change that much about the story flow. I switched a couple of um, flashbacks uh, just because, you know, with his advice, they did fit better um, in the spot he suggested. And I cut a few because of foreshadowing, um, you know, where... uh, maybe I went a little too much into the flashbacks and it would, would reveal things that would come later and kind of spoil it. So I just, I I reworked it another way. Um, But yeah, for the most part, uh, what I have in the book is pretty much what I wrote, like from the the get go. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Was there any, well, no, that's not the right question. Hold on. Let me rethink that just a second. Mm. I'll come back to that. Okay. Then, um, do you edit while you write? 
because I know everybody, like you said, has their own thing. And I've heard uh, some writers say that they just write an entire first draft and then jump in and start editing. Some people will write five to six to 10 pages, edit that, then move on. Uh, what's your, you know, pure uh, creating manuscript versus editing uh, schedule like? I absolutely do not edit while I write. I think I did it um, on my first book. I did it here and there for like a chapter, but um, it becomes too much of a distraction. And then you start losing those little precious threads in your brain of the story because it's like, we're ready to go, but you're making us go back. Yeah. So um, it's very much for the first draft, strike while the iron's hot. It doesn't matter what comes out. Like, I mean, especially typos, which are so easy to fix, but even mm -hmm. developmental stuff, just go with it. If you've got some sort of notion uh, of where the character wants to go, where the story is going, write it down. And um, you can always go back later and you, you will go back later multiple yeah. times. So there's no purpose in stopping your initial flow. You know, there's a quote and I forget who said it, but it's so awesome. It's like um, the first draft is just you telling yourself the story. Yeah. You know, and that, that's the most important thing. Because once you do that, you can go back and you can fiddle with it all you want and do whatever you want. Yeah, because I think I've never listened to Neil Gaiman's Masterclass. I would like to. Oh, but, me too. <laughs> but just in the commercial, like he gives away the best piece of advice I think that whole class has to offer when he said that your second draft is the art of making it look like you knew what you were doing in your first draft the whole time. Yes. So... Yeah, there's definitely a lot to that. You are going to go back and you're going to fix things or take things out or add things. Um, when I wrote um, my book, which is still looking for a home to get published, um, at one point I was like, ooh, I don't think I like the way the story is going from this you know, one particular point on. And I was like, no, just write through it. And I wrote and wrote and wrote and it didn't feel right, but I just kind of ignored that overwhelming feeling at one point. And I was mm -hmm. like, just right through it. And I ended up going back and scrapping like 80 or 90 pages and just cutting it out and starting over again. Um, at what point when you're writing, do you go, no, I need to rethink this? Or have you had one of those like soul crushing moments where you're like, well, the last month is just gone? Um, yeah, I thankfully, uh, knock on wood, I have not had to like scrap whole sections yet. I'm sure it'll happen one day, yeah. you know? But, um, and I've never really had writer's block, but there are times where um, sometimes you, you get to a point in the story and it feels like a dead end because you've got to figure out where you're going next. Yeah. Like you, you've built up to a certain point and you're just like, oh my God, I don't know. Um, the best thing to do is, uh, in my experience, is just take a breath, walk away, go do something else for the rest of your day. Mm -hmm. Maybe it takes a couple days, you know, but it shouldn't be more than that. And um, you'll distract yourself the less you think about it on your conscious level. Your mm -hmm. subconscious is still working with this. Yeah. And then you'll be like, it happened to me. You'll be at the grocery store or something and like lightning strikes. So I got nothing on me. So I whip out my phone and I'm like using a little memo app and I'm just yeah, yeah. <laughs> typing stuff to myself. Um, but it, it will happen. You already know more than you realize about your story. You just mm -hmm. have to um, put yourself to the side and let the the smarter, lower part of your brain figure things out. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great advice. Um, okay. So you've already said that your minimum is 500 words a day. Mm -hmm. That's pretty good. I, I never really stuck to a strong minimum. I was just always kind of like, you need to finish at least one scene. <laughs> but yeah. That yeah, could that, that's be, good too. That could either be yeah, one page or 15 pages, um, depending on yeah how hot the iron is. Um, let me ask you just a little bit more about some influences that you had then, because you've already said Stephen King and B.C. Andrews mm -hmm. were what hooked you in. Um, Give me like your top three, yeah, give me your top three active horror writers. Active. Okay, so um, I've been reading so much uh, 
of like newer independent horror and there's some people that I'm absolutely in love with um Gwendolyn Keist is brilliant and amazing I totally recommend if you haven't read any of her work because okay. it, it goes like beyond horror you know it's um it's very feminine centered which I love of course and um you know it's a the prose is just gorgeous and um I read another book really recently uh, by Gabino Iglesias, uh, Coyote Songs, and it's a set of like short stories sort of uh, and um, about life on the border between the U.S. and Mexico. Again, absolutely gorgeous, riveting, beautiful language and just great stuff. Um, and who is another good one? Oh, Paul Tremblay, of course. I yeah. was blown away by Head Full of Ghosts. Um, I, I have several of his other books, uh, ready to read and I cannot wait for survivor song, which is coming in a couple months. And one of his books is, is it head full of ghosts? Somebody's making that into a movie, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Which I think will be really good. Yeah. I actually used it as a comp, uh, for another story I wrote that I'm, I have out being queried right now about a haunted restaurant where, um, I, I comped it to Head Full of Ghosts, which, you know, on the surface, they're totally unrelated. But um, they they both have a similar theme in mind of uh, what happens to you when you try to profit off of the supernatural, like how bad uh, things result from that. Yeah. <laughs> well, that sounds fun. Mm -hmm. Oh, and Grady Hendrix, if you have not read any of his book books, they are so inventive, funny, heartwarming. Like my best friend's exorcism, horror store, uh, we sold our souls. Fantastic books. My best friend's exorcism. That sounds awesome. <laughs> it is. It is so good. It's like it's like The Exorcist meets Beaches or something. It's awesome. And there's one scene in there that's so gross and terrifying. It haunts me right even now. <laughs> awesome. After I finish Demon and Me, then I think that's what I'm going to reach for next. With some Grady Hendrix. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is it spelled like Jimi Hendrix or with yes. the C? Okay. Mm -hmm. I figured, yeah, I figured you would know. We've, <laughs> we've already swapped some classic rock knowledge on each other. Yes. <laughs> um, and speaking of which, um, the book Demon and Me has tons of music in it, including a playlist in the back when you write, do you listen to music or do you prefer a quiet space? Do you like to just like rock out and shake the room? What, what What's your style? Absolutely music all the time while I'm writing. While I'm editing, um, sometimes I can't do music because it's too distracting and I need to focus. Interesting. But um, the good thing about the music while I'm writing is uh, again with the conscious versus subconscious brain, like the music kind of like distracts the conscious brain so it doesn't get in the way and the rest yeah. of my brain can kind of do what it needs to do but um each story i write has a comprehensive playlist and um they're different artists different genres different songs all kind of fitting um characters plots even scenes or settings yeah. you know um whatever is gonna kind of keep me in the mood keep my head in the right space while yeah. i'm writing have, that'd be an interesting exercise to try to like listen to um, the Sleeping Dead theme song and write like a children's fairy tale just to see what comes out. <laughs> well, again, fairy tales are terrifying, so it would be fine. <laughs> they are. Like my parents used to have one of the like original Grimm's fairy tales, like the, mm -hmm. not the parts that they cut out for the kids, but like where they all end with like, and the kids didn't listen and they were eaten or the kids didn't <laughs> and, and they got their faces bashed in. It's like, whoa. Well, my grandma, she, uh, I used to spend a lot of time when I was really little uh, sleeping over her house. So she had the old um, Hans Christian Andersen and Grimm's fairy tales like in like a compilation book. So yeah. she'd lay there and she'd read it to me and she was always so funny anyway, but she'd be reading it and like, she'd stop and be like, what the hell is this? And she's like, never mind. We're just gonna move on. I don't even know what's going on anymore. I like like the Little Mermaid when you know Air, the Little Mermaid kills herself 
versus going for her prince because she finds him with another woman. And she goes, I, I'm supposed to kill them for breaking my heart, but I'll just kill myself instead. And my grandma's like, don't you ever do that for a man. But then, of course, years later, she's like, I'm glad you're going to college because you'll find yourself a nice husband there. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I got to ask you then, what did you go to school for? Because you said that it wasn't for any creative writing type stuff. Was it business minded or? Yes, I, I went the path that so many people do because uh, I, I wanted to go. I love learning. I really wanted to go to college and just learn everything I could about everything, you know, with yeah. not even necessarily a career in mind, just because I love learning. But of course, when you're paying for your college and, you know, it's expensive, you think I, I need to do something that's going to get me a practical job and, you know, a career. So I went for business, but um, and I got a degree in it, but uh, it was the most stultifying, boring thing. I mean, I did really good, but I hated it. Right. And um, then it was like an online college on top of that. So, you know, you apply for jobs with that as your degree and you don't even get calls back. So if I knew then what I know now, yeah, I would have just taken classes that interested me or I would have just forgotten it altogether because um, I, I think college is valuable. But you really have to know before you waste all that time and money that this is absolutely what you want to do. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I well, I went to as, how do I say this? I graduated from as many colleges as I flunked out of. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, going to college just to go to college, I think, is overrated. But, uh, mm -hmm. you know, like my dad's parents were from Italy, um, and they were very much like, you work or you go to school. But either way, you like, you go hard into it. My parents were like, well, we'll, we'll work hard. And... Um, then they were like, you know what, we're going to have our kids go to college. So they pushed college on me when I totally wasn't ready for it. Then mm -hmm. I ended up joining the military, coming back. College was free after that. I took classes that I liked, but unfortunately they were ones that didn't land me a high paying job. So I have a podcast and wrote a book instead. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. <laughs> That's why I never got out of restaurants. Well, yeah. that plus, um, you know, uh, I just love being around people, I love um, hospitality, yeah. and uh, I love uh, making stuff. Like making drinks and stuff is super fun. It's a really creative way to occupy yourself. So, um, plus the money, the easy money, they, you can make more bartending than you can at most entry level jobs. So, if you enjoy it, that's absolutely a viable career option. Don't make people oh, yeah. force you into thinking you have to go to school unless it's something you want. You have to follow your passion, and um, I really do believe that if you follow your passion, you'll be happier, and you will find more success than you would otherwise. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, does that mean when your book is uh, on the bestseller list and they're adapting it into a movie, <laughs> you're going to continue to do this even if you're making millions from from writing? Oh, yeah. I mean, I write all the time. Like, there's days that my boyfriend will be like, who are you? Why are you in my apartment? Because <laughs> if I'm not, I'm, I'm, I edit part time as well. So if I'm not okay. editing, if I'm not editing someone else's work, I am working on a current or a new story or a short story. I've been experimenting with those. Yeah. And um, it's always something. So and I still have so many stories. Like I try to write not outlines because, again, I don't really believe in them too much. But I do write little notes to myself like this person in this spot, like go. <laughs> yeah. So I don't forget it. <laughs> you know, it's funny. This goes back to something that you had said earlier, too, um, about, you know, books resonating because they are real. Um, I had uh, just a very chance encounter with uh, Stephen James. Have you ever heard of him? He writes a lot of crime novels. I think I've heard of him, yeah. Okay. At, at the time, I had just started writing my book, and I had the discussion with him. I was like, yeah, I'm using this outline that I found in this book about how to write a novel. He's like, can I just give you some advice? I was like, yeah. He's like, just don't pay attention to that book. Just write. I was like, really? Mm -hmm. He's like, yeah, just, just write. And I was like, okay. So I threw away the outline that I had started. My book went a completely different direction, and I fell in love with what I ended up writing anyway. Um, 
Uh, you got to cut me off when I start talking more than 20 seconds. <laughs> I don't forget what I was going to say about it. Um, where was I going with that? We we're talking about Stephen James, the book, Writing What... Oh, yeah. He had said, too, um, because he writes uh, under a Christian publisher, and he gets mm -hmm. flack from the people that read his books because there's, like, extreme violence. And he mm -hmm. said, like, you know, that if you if you pay attention to the Bible, too, like, things things aren't going to be perfect for you just because you're under the veil of religion either. Like that's very true. You have, have to tell a real story. You can't, you can't PG it just to make somebody morally feel good about themselves. Mm -hmm. so. Well, I, I definitely agree with that. Like, um, you know, obviously I, one of my uh, most, I guess, favorite active social media sites is my Twitter. And, you know, you see a whole bunch of different people there, which is great, you know, yeah. but, um, you know, I see often in the writing community, I see um, women writers complaining about, um, you know, they want more female centered stories, which mm. I am absolutely on board with. In fact, sure. all of my main characters are females. Um, but at the same time, they're like, you know, oh, I, I hate seeing women abused all the time in stories or I hate seeing them um, objectified or, you know, having rape or sexual assault as like, um uh, a plot line, you know, or a plot twist, like that's all they're about. And it's like, yeah, yeah they don't we, want the victimization of any kind, right? Right. Which I get because no one wants to see a poorly written character like tokenized, used only for that sole purpose, like a plot device, like, like right. in the detective stories, right? Like there's always that woman that is just hot and has like a cool name. And, yeah. you know, something horrible happened to her. But like, other than that, she's just a cardboard cutout, right? Like, right. you know, um, but no, I think detective to kiss at the end. Right. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think, um, you know, if we are going to emphasize the importance of women in fiction and women in literature, these are still our issues. You know, yeah. it is not safe. I, I mean, I, I don't think it's safe to always walk around by yourself as a woman. It's always in the back of my head. You know, if I'm walking down the street at night or something or I'm alone, like, oh, God, is something going to happen? You know, because ever since you're a little girl, like everyone in your life trains you for this, like always be on your guard, always be aware because you are vulnerable out there. Yeah. And um, if that's always a fear in your head, then it's still a problem. And that means that we can use art to keep awareness at a certain level and help people deal with this, you know. Um, so I don't think it's a plot device and I don't think it's cheap if it's done well and if it's done to inform and to help others. Yeah. And I'm glad that you keep mentioning because it's something that I didn't think enough about to before the interview, how much art there is in horror because yeah, mm -hmm. there are, I'm sure there's probably people out there that write stuff that's just like gross and shocking for the sake of that. And there's probably a good market for it too, but like, yeah, the stuff that really sticks with you for a long time, and I think that's why people keep coming back to um, books like Stephen King, Dean Koontz, mm -hmm. um, and even Toni Morrison on some level. Like, nobody yes. ever really called her a horror writer, but, like... Beloved think... is terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> Beloved is horrifying. I mm -hmm. had to take a Toni Morrison seminar my senior year, so we read everything that she wrote. Well, I fell behind on, like, two of the books and didn't quite finish them, but don't tell my professor that. I, won't. <laughs> I already graduated. It's too late. Um, but uh, yeah, somebody else who I think uh, works really well right now in this genre is Nick Cutter. Have you ever yes. read anything his? He is on my very extensive TBR list. <laughs> but yes, I've heard of him. That's why I really want to read some of his stuff. Yeah, he's fantastic. And he like without spoiling anything, there's just one scene where these kids kill a turtle and like they're going to, they're trying to eat it, but like they kill it. And when they try to kill it, it doesn't die right away. And he just kind of like describes the, the turtle like squirming as it's like in pain and dying. And that is more powerful than like, you know, a monster ripping somebody's limbs off. You know what I mean? Like yes. those simple little like ah oh, moments. Not like not the I'm gonna rip my hand through your stomach and hold you like a puppet. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I totally agree. Like and, and again I'm a huge 
horror movie fan, have been since I was a tiny kid. Uh, we just watched, again, rewatched because we've been craving it, the uh, Hereditary last night. Ooh, you know, I don't, I don't, oh my God, you've got to see it. And uh, Midsummer, they are awesome. They are like two of my favorite movies ever. All right. But, but like it's, um, it's kind of a slow burn at the first part of it, you know, because you think again, horror is supposed to be constant jump scares and constant action, but that's not the most scary stuff. Like Hereditary, um, the ending has some truly crazy scenes, you know, act, you know, where your blood pressure's shooting through the roof, you're scared, yeah. and it's it's fast paced, it's horrible. But like the whole lead up there, it's very much a movie about grief and um, how people cope with it or don't right. and um, and how that affects you. That whole movie, like just watching a dinner conversation, like that's my favorite scene when they have dinner and like all this kind of comes out. That is just the tension and uh, the emotions that it causes because we've all we can all empathize with what that family's going through to an extent. Like maybe we haven't had people that we love killed, you know, but we've lost people we love and we've coped with that or tried to and um and you're haunted by it. And they they really do a really great job of in a not overtly scary way scaring the life out of you by showing that. Yeah. Um I had one I gotta start writing things down. I had one question <laughs> I wanted to ask you, and it pertains to writing too. Um oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um we're yeah, we're at like forty-five minutes. So if at any time you gotta start to pull out of here, let me know. But um I'm gonna keep going until you until you say stop until at least we reach an hour or so. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh Okay, so here's where I'm at with my writing, quote, career. Mm -hmm. I've got a book. I'm querying people. I went from not getting any responses to getting form rejections to most recently somebody said, this isn't right for me, but you might want to try somebody else at my agency. Mm -hmm. So um, when you've got a book and you're trying to reach out, do you have any advice? And then I want you to kind of lead that into um, this wave that you've ridden with, like, Finding a publisher, losing the publisher, yes. going indie, and now you've got a publisher again for another book. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, what would you say to somebody who's trying to find a publisher, and then kind of also what? Well, we'll we'll get to the indie advice next, but yeah. Uh, well, the first time I started even uh, trying to reach out to anyone, because uh, I mean, when I was last writing, well, sort of seriously, I was a teenager and I didn't know anything. But, you know, back then we didn't really have the Internet like it is today. Yeah. Uh, so I knew, like, you know, you're supposed to contact publishers, mail, print your book out, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I'm not doing all that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I started uh, someone told me to join the writing community on Twitter. So I did. And I actually met a lot of really awesome people. And we're friends even now. We're kind of like a little mini writing group. But um, some of them were independent publishers and some of them were still trying to get agents. And um trying to get small press's attention. So the best way I found was uh, joining in on the Twitter writing contests because they um, they have several throughout the year. Pit Mad is of course the biggest one where mm -hmm. um, all genres are included in that. Uh, and you make a pitch that fits into a tweet. So it's like, I don't know, like 240 characters, which is not a lot. It's like you get like two, three sentences basically to describe your whole book. And you include comps um, and uh, hashtags, like uh, you would do like hashtag uh, A for adult and H for horror, you know, to show your market. And um, okay. and yeah, you just depend on the agents and small presses that are scanning through all that to see your tweet. And um, if they heart it, then it means you get kind of um, a bump up from the cold query, right? Because you can put in the uh, tagline of your email, uh, materials requested, for instance, so it bumps you up above the crowd. Uh, so that can be a really great thing, you know, depending on who you interact with. And if nothing else, you get so much support during these contests from your fellow writers, from the other people in the contest, because yeah. they're constantly retweeting or they're being like, they'll say something like, oh, my God, that book sounds awesome. I can't wait to read it. And they yeah. tell their friends. So it's, it's a great promotional uh, thing to do anyway. Yeah. But but as far as uh, agents, uh, they are, from my experience, I've queried probably like a hundred of them so far between three books. Um, 
And I've not had fantastic results. Yeah. But it's also a lot of it has to do with uh, my genre as well. Horror is very much like the redheaded stepchild of the book world, you know, which is crazy because it's been such an integral part of my life. I can't even imagine that there's people out there who don't like it, you know, because I I love it. Like that's my go to for movies, books, whatever. I love it. The darker, the better. But um, people are watching horror movies, but those same people just aren't reading, I guess. Right. And um, yeah. And, and sales wise, if you look at figures like on the publisher sites, it is like the lowest selling. So I get it. You know, agents are business people. They want to partner with someone who they can make money for both of you. And that makes perfect sense. So I've not had a lot of luck with um, the agents. Now, I don't know if it's just my genre. I don't know necessarily if my queries are perfect or not, because right. um. I do have trouble with brevity sometimes, so it could be that that it's, yeah. that it's not catching their eye the right way. But um, yeah, I love the pitch contest, and um, I've act, I've had a lot more luck with small presses because uh, the indie horror community is flourishing. It yeah. is going through a total golden age. Some of the best horror I've ever read has been in the past few years through independent horror small presses. Yeah, well, and. I- I can't believe how many people are writing right now. Like I uh, became aware of you through Instagram and Mm -hmm. like a ton of the people right now that, um, that I follow and that follow me write horror and I write sci-fi. That's like a little bit twisted, but like Mm -hmm. I would not call it horror. Um, But yeah, there's just a huge base of people that are writing right now that blew my mind. Oh yeah. And, um, and the small presses, um, obviously they want to make money and they need to make money because they have less of a head start than the big five. Yeah. But they are also more creative minded and they are willing to take a risk on maybe something that doesn't quite fit into a certain category or, you know, like it, it just doesn't seem like it would be on the big five bestseller list. They're willing to take a chance if the story's good, if the writing's good and if they believe that you'll market yourself. Yeah. Um, and you can get great covers, you can get editing help. And, and um, like the publisher I work for, who's also um, releasing my, it's sort of a young adult, borderline adult <laughs> novel, that's going to be a trilogy that starts uh, next year. That'll be coming out. Um, they're great. They take on absolutely every genre you can imagine. Uh, they're, think, they're called Red Askew, so their, their kind of catch thing is, uh, do you write askew? Do you write like a little bit different, a little bit off center of normal or whatever? That's what they're looking for. And they're a great group, you know, and sometimes that's even better because um, you get more personal attention yeah. with the right small press. You get into a community of like-minded individuals who are all in the same spot as you. And um, that's a comfort. That's a help. You know, I had so many arcs that went out because of people in this community that have been there anyway and been supportive. And, you know, I wouldn't have had that otherwise. I wouldn't have had that if I just got an agent first. I wouldn't have known anybody. Yeah. So sometimes things happen for a reason. Yeah, for sure. And it sounds like it's working out really well. Um, But what what happened? uh, Because like you said that you uh, sold Demon and Me. Well, I don't know how that works when you go directly through a publisher like that. Do you mm-hmm. sell the book to them? Do they? Mm-hmm. Okay, so you sold the book to them. They published it. Okay. Um, well, okay. I sold it. I sold it to them. Um, I got a really nice contract out of them too. And again, when you sign with anyone, every contract's different. Mm-hmm. Please make sure that you're reading absolutely everything because you yeah. you everyone will be different. But um, no, these are this is a great guy. He's also been a lifelong horror fan and uh, a lifelong lover of books and reading. And uh, he had a really great concept. Unfortunately, you know, things any small business, you know, can suffer yeah. this same way. And he tried everything he could. But, you know, life just got in the way and he, he wasn't able to keep the company going. But um, I, I had a really generous contract where um, all he had anyway was publishing rights. So they instantly reverted back to me. It's in my contract if the business should ever go under. Yeah. And he was gracious enough to uh, the beautiful cover, which I absolutely love. Yeah. He gave that to me. 
And, um, you know, and he worked with me for almost a whole year editing, you know, so it, it's not the worst thing that happened. And I certainly, you know, I, I appreciate everything he did. And I even thank him in the back of the book because he was literally like the first person who was a professional who believed in it. And that means so much to me. Yeah. So then that press uh, ceased to be and you went on with the book and you're just putting it on Amazon yourself, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, because everything had been done. Like, I, yeah. it, it went under weeks before it was due to be released. So, you know, I, I had shied away from self-publishing because I'm like, I, I this seems really complicated. Mm. But again, in my little writing group, where there's several self-publishers, they stepped up like crazy. And they were like, Jen, whatever you need, we will help you. Like, one of my friends took the, um, the manuscript... Uh, Shanna, if you're listening, and she ran it through her uh, software that she uses for her um, books, made me like so many different versions of like the PDF, the Mobi. And like every time I'd find a typo, I'm like, can you do one more? And she's like, of course, I got it. You know, and um, without their help, I, like I totally I would have probably been too scared to do it. But um, but yeah, I mean, the only thing with self-publishing, it, it gets a lot of crap, you know. Mm-hmm. Because we've all read self-published books that are absolute garbage. <laughs> like that. Yeah, no, I, I, I've tried to read a lot of stuff just to try to figure out who the first writer I was going to interview was. And I'm so excited that I got an interview <laughs> writer. Um, um, but yeah, like there's some stuff you just read the first page and you're just kind of like, mm, mm-hmm. mm. like, did you even run it through spell check? I mean, <laughs> all right. All right. So yeah, yeah, you're definitely at the mixed bag. It's a, it's a, it's a crapshoot from a reader's perspective, but it's, it's not all bad. Definitely not. It's all not bad. like again some of the best books I've read in the past couple of years since I started on this writing journey. Even before that, since I got my Kindle, which I resisted for a while, because I was always like, I only want real books. I want the physical copy. You know, none of this fancy computer crap. But I got my Kindle. <laughs> I got my Kindle, and I absolutely love it. Yeah. And I love, you know, I think I, uh, it works for where I live because um, we're in, like, this dead zone in Georgia, like, where I live. There's not a proper bookstore for at least 50 miles from where I live. So having my Kindle, um, anytime I want a book, no matter what time of the day or night, buy, click, downloads, and it's right there. You know, I don't have to fight Atlanta traffic, which is right. a nightmare. I don't oh. I don't have to spend twenty, thirty dollars for a book I may or may not like. I can spend a fraction of that on the ebook and see if I like it. You know? Yeah, and yeah. um and the it's it's just it's been beautiful. And you can like I love how on the Kindle you can like highlight uh notes, like special sentences, passages, uh-huh. you know. It, that's awesome. You wouldn't want to do that in a real book, like mark it all up. I know right. some people do, but that's kind of sacrilegious. So, <laughs> yeah. And the other thing I really like about the Kindle too is like, if you well, I don't know if it's all books. Probably just ones if you rent them. Um, you can see when like other people have highlighted something. Yes. Yes. Of significance, or um, uh, my kids have Kindles, and they like the thing that actually like scans across the words to make sure that you read it at the right pace. They're like, mm-hmm. oh, I read a little faster today than I did last week. <laughs> um, I like it the most because even though I feel like writers should know most words that they see in books, there's plenty that I don't. And on a Kindle, I can just touch it and go, ah, okay. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Because hey, I'm also can... not the kind of person that takes a dictionary to me with I'm reading and goes, oh, that's that. Hey, we're all always learning, and anyone who says different is full of it. So, (laughs) and I think that's a big part of the writer's toolbox is the right word for the right, uh, the right emotion, the right action, the right whatever. And I would say too, like um, for writers who are just starting out, I know a lot of people say this, but uh, when Stephen King wrote the book on writing, like I so loved that book when it came out, and um, I remember buying it, and this was still when I was not even close to coming back to writing, you know, but um, just the way he uh, described everything. And one of the things I loved was, um, I think it was in that book that he mentioned uh, the use of thesauruses, thesaur, mm. I don't, I don't know if that's right, but um, <laughs> yeah, thesauri. <laughs> yeah, thesauri, I don't know. But when you're writing, like, 
go with your gut. Now, one of the things you'll learn when you're editing is, you know, you don't want to repeat too many words because you don't want to water them down unless you're repeating them for like a specific effect. Mm -hmm. So the thesaurus can be really helpful to make sure that you're uh, varying your words. Yeah. But at the same time, if while you're writing, if something is just in your gut, like this is the best word, stick with that word. Yeah. If you got to change other stuff, fine. But don't just go to your thesaurus and be like, ooh, that looks cool. I'm going to pop that in there. You know, if that's not the right word, if that's not the one that you really want, then don't just do that because then it makes your writing seem um, not as authentic. Yeah. Yeah, because there's always other tricks. You can move the sentence around and mm -hmm. the words buried instead of read at the beginning or the end or whatever. So, yeah, I like that. Um, we're right about at an hour. So I think I've got a couple other things I really wanted to ask you. And then mm -hmm. after that, I'll, I'll let you go. But Or should I say an hour of actual interview? Because if you think about how much time <laughs> I spent like going, what was I going to ask you? Probably at like... 48 minutes. Um, so, yeah. I'm just going to reiterate kind of what you said, just in case anybody else out there missed it. Get on any kind of online writing support group because somebody told me the same thing for podcasting, too. They're like, yeah, man, you know, you got you to gotta get out there and network with people mm -hmm. just so that, you know, people even know your stuff is out there. Same thing with writers. Um, that's in the age of the internet. Why not use the internet as a tool to get yourself published beyond and, just telling people? And for, for any hobby, I mean, that's the beautiful thing about the internet. We give it a lot of shit because, you know, yep. there are trolls out there and everything. Yep. But um, that's the best way to keep in touch with, say, long distance friends and family. And yep. um, for any hobby, it, whether it's writing, music, macrame, cooking, I don't know. But, you know, you can find a group out there with your people who think like you, they feel like you. And um, sharing your hobby is an amazing, beautiful thing. So why wouldn't you want to use the internet for that? Yeah. Um, that was rhetorical, right? You don't want me to answer that? Um, no, you don't have to answer it. <laughs> uh, let's see. What else was there? What else was there? I was going to ask you one other thing. And it's gone like smoke now. So, um, yeah, I was so excited to have you in here and now I'm kind of sad to, to have you go, um, <laughs> but thank you for coming on creative up. Uh, is there anything else that you wanted to say to any, uh, any readers or potential writers out there? Last bit of advice or inspiration or where they can find your books too. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, well for writers, uh, just don't give up and, Read a lot. Read constantly because, again, that's mm -hmm. you're building your toolbox, whether you realize it or not, you know, and um, reach out to people too. you know, the writing community on Twitter. Yes, it has its ups and downs. It has its bad apples. But overall, it's an amazing place uh, to share struggles, to share triumphs, you know, to reach out to network. And that's going to be super important for you because whether you get signed with a big five or a small press, or you self-publish, you are expected to market yourself. You're expected to push your own material. So you need to start now, like making friends, reaching out to people. Writing does mm -hmm. not have to be that solitary an activity, you know, and, and get friends yeah. to help you read your stories. You know, everything seems great in your own head. You need an audience perspective, you know, to just see how your words are being absorbed. Um, but as far as uh, about the book, too, it released today. It's uh, right now it's Amazon exclusive on ebook and paperback uh, with the everything with the virus. The ebook is up for sale. It will be shipped. It might be a, a little bit delayed because it's a non-essential item. Like mm -hmm. I ordered my author's copies and they're going to take probably like uh, 10 days to two weeks. Okay. Where normally they would take like four or five days. But you can still get it if you want that. Um, but on the ebook, uh, I also added it to the Kindle Unlimited program because uh, if everyone's going to be at home stuck reading, they're also offering, uh, like I said, the two free weeks. So essentially, you could get it for free um, if you were kind of hesitant about spending money. Plus, there's like thousands of others of amazing stories on Kindle Unlimited. So definitely don't, you know, 
get there for yourself <laughs> because you know we need to entertain ourselves in healthy ways while we're stuck at home oh, um sure. and as far as where to reach me i do have a website uh jenniferlcc.com i'm active on twitter uh facebook instagram i'm still kind of learning instagram so i'm not like the greatest at it <laughs> but the kit my nieces and nephews are teaching me so <laughs> Kids are good for showing us what to do, man. When when it comes to anything on a phone, on a computer, yes. just ask a ask a ten year old; they can figure it out. They can figure it out. They're awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I mean that's that's really it. Just don't give up on your dream. We only get one life, so you know, go for it. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad that you're going for it because Demon and Me is awesome. I'm going to finish it probably tonight and or tomorrow morning. Yay! I'm so glad you like it. Yeah. <laughs> And if you ever need a beta reader for any of your other stuff coming up, let me know. I'd love to read it. I absolutely will. (laughs) I'm going to say, I knew her before she was famous. (laughs) Yes. Well, hey, good luck to you. Thanks for coming on. And uh, this should be out soon. So everybody that's listening, go out and get Demon in Me by Jennifer Susie. Thanks, guys. (laughs)